In November 2002, I went home to Enniscorthy in County Wexford for a family event. Control 1 to control, ops are normal, out. We were at the Riverside Hotel, overlooking the River Slaney in the town. I didn't pay much attention that day to a few local boats patrolling the river. What I didn't know is that the people of the town were about to be tested. A painful six weeks was coming. Why would people do it? Um. There is an issue in Wexford with suicide, or there has been anyway to date. Um, it's sort of nearly reaching epidemic proportions. Twelve years on, part of the legacy of that time is a drive to make sure that nothing on the scale of what happened in Wexford ever happens again. I suppose the whole idea of Marine Watch was to try and be proactive and actually go and do something to prevent it, instead of talking about it and saying, you know, oh geez, somebody lost their life there again last night, that's terrible, somebody jumped into the harbour, but actually go and do something about it to prevent us. But that's where the, the organisation came about. Today, Wexford Marine Watch volunteers patrol the River Slaney. They're on hand to persuade people who might be thinking of ending their lives on the river to think again. It's an initiative partly inspired by the events of eight days in November in Wexford, when no one could have imagined what was about to happen. Well, onto the markets on a Friday night, the Dow Jones in New York closed up 37 to 8,500. It was only on the 18th of November 2002 that what was happening in Enniscorthy became national news. And Sterling and David, I should be back in about a half an hour. Right, Geraldine, now the time is quarter past seven. Since last Monday, three young men have been drowned in separate incidents in the River Slaney in Enniscorthy in County Wexford and a fourth has been rescued. The four range in age from 22 to their mid-30s. Three of them were local. One is a To the best of your knowledge, was there any connection between the three young men? Um, no, there was no connection whatsoever between the three young men. They all entered the water separately? Yes. Now, the only people, unfortunately, at the time that, um, for use of a better word, made the headlines were the people who actually went into the river and lost their lives. My own son, he took one girl off of the river one night. Um, he was talking to me on the phone at the time, and all of a sudden she just dropped her phone and jumped into the river. And my son got her alive. And it was just a form of mass hysteria, and we just did not know when it was going to end. Unfortunately, Peter Byrne was the first into the river, and um, from that search that morning at half nine, we spent the next six weeks on the river, seven days a week from daylight dark every evening. It got to the stage where you were afraid to turn on the news in the morning, the local the local news, because you know, was there someone else gone in, you know? Like the total the reaction I, you could see the people of Innescorty they're just they were scratching their heads wondering wondering what is going on, you know. And I mean to look at the, the River Slaney, it's a lovely, beautiful river. In the summer you could walk across it. But it's one. Uh, well, now it obviously goes down as one of the most dangerous rivers. I mean, but it, that was the general consensus. Like, you know, what's going on? We had so many um, victims into the river, and every morning we just got up. There was a new case. We were getting a new call at night. A health board paper from the time tells us there were eleven suspected suicides in the Enniscorthy area. The paper was written in response to what health board officials referred to as a suspected cluster of suicides. There's no official record of the number of people who went into the river, 
it was a chaotic time. From talking to those involved in the search, though, it seems at least nine people entered the Slaney over the space of just eight days. My name is Harry O'Connor. I'm uh, chairman of Slaney Search and Rescue. I have here with me now Mrs Mary Whelan. In 2002, Mary was part of our canoe team. We had canoes who um, could get places on the river where other boats couldn't. They were a very valuable asset. Her husband, Des, her husband, Des, it was another canoe member and an Adam paddler at the time. Still we on. have Pat Casey, and Pat was a boat man at the time and a canoeist. Their position was all on the river in, involved in the actual search. I also have Mrs. Margaret Cavanagh Casey, Pat's wife. Margaret's position at the time is that Margaret um, coordinated the search, took all, kept the log, took all the, the names of the people involved in the search, signed everybody in in the morning and kept a written record of everything that was going on. I have my own wife here, Bridget O'Connor. Brady runs the canteen, the feeding house. During the search of 2002, as she said herself, on one Sunday, we fed 260 people here on, on the day. It gives uh, the canteen, gives uh, a safe haven to family for to be able to come in, sit down. If they wish to come in and sit down and cry, they can come in and sit down and cry. My experience is more often than not, they come in, they sit down and cry. Half an hour later, Brady has them butter and bread and making sandwiches. Many people with links to Enniscorthy were drawn to the events of 2002, some to the search itself, more to support friends or relatives. Others tried to make some sense of what had happened. That search inspired local man Peter Murphy's second novel, Shall We Gather at the River, which he also set to music. It was an uncanny event or series of events. I remember I was living in Dublin at the time and I felt this kind of tug like I, I had to go home and it was so strange to see the stuff of my hometown like a small town writ large on the front pages of the newspapers and to hear it on the radio every day and I remember just looking at the river at that time it was November 2002 and there were heavy rains and the the mud had had slid into the river, probably around Wicklow somewhere, and it had coloured the water, and it looked like dried blood. Uh, and I remember being really overcome by the the heaviness of it. It was an incredibly heavy feeling, and something that resisted all explanation. It all began on a Monday morning, November the 11th. At half past eight, around the time most people were dropping their children to school, a local man went into the Slaney from the old bridge in the town. It was Harry who took the call for Slaney Search and Rescue. The first victim that went into, into the river that morning was a Monday morning, and um, unfortunately it was a Mr Peter Byrne. Now, Peter was terribly well-known in town. Um, he had been reared in town. He came from a very, very well-known town family. And we got the call at approximately half nine, approximately that, and that um, someone had been seen in the river. 
So we came down, we launched our boats. We were only a very, very young organization at the time. Very young, very inexperienced. And um, so we just took out on a search. And little did we know when we were heading out that morning, what we were actually heading into, into the next six weeks. And um, from that search that morning at half nine, we spent the next six weeks on the river, seven days a week from daylight till dark every evening. Well, I remember, I remember hearing it on the news that morning that uh, there was a man went in off the bridge in, in an escorty. And uh, through phone calls then, I realised that it was a colleague that I used to work with in the hotel. It was Peter. Before that Monday morning, John Byrne wasn't a member of Slaney Search and Rescue. When he got the call about Peter, though, he brought his two jet skis to Enniscorthy and joined the team. Having two watercraft here, I just felt, you know, well, we'll, we'll go and try and give a hand to... So off we went. I rang Harry O'Connor and I told him I had um, a craft available if, if it was need be, so he told me to come ahead. So we did. I spent six weeks, I think, altogether, every day on the river. Um, as I say, it started off with with a colleague of mine, Peter, and uh, escalated into, I think there was, between Bunclodian and Escort at that time, I think there was, I think it was six or seven. You're probably beginning to notice two things about this story by now. One is that there are different accounts of how many people went into the river that week and where they went in. The passing of time and the pain it caused have blurred some memories. What really stands out about that time too is how so many people in Enniscorthy put their lives on hold to do whatever they could to help out. Mag, what have you got there? Just explain what you're looking at. Um, I just kept uh, a log of everyone that came on the search, um, the name of the boats that they brought, and um, they took their phone numbers and clocked them in and clocked them out and wrote down what area they were searching on. And the different groups, i.e. like uh, Kilkenny, Sobakwa, we had... Um, Mallow Search and Rescue. Mallow Search and Rescue and the Navy Divers. We had the RNLI was up. Kihori Shore. Kihori Um Anyone basically that had a boat within the rims of County Wexford that could, came and give a hand, brought their boat and helped in any way that they could. As in, and the locals had boats. A lot of locals yeah. had boats as well and the just gave us a hand. The guard the divers were down as well and gave a hand. The search crew were heading out into the worst conditions seen on the Slaney in years as days of heavy rain caused flooding across the county. It's ten minutes to nine now and finally this morning, flooding. You've seen the pictures and if you live in certain areas of the East Coast, you may have suffered in the wake of those massive downpours. It's not, of course, unprecedented. In many ways, Peter Barron's death marks the beginning and the end of this story. He was the first one to enter the river and the last to be found. For John, Peter's colleague with the two jet skis, this was a call he had feared. I worked in I worked in the hotel with Peter, and I remember the week previous to um, to the tragedy. I remember I went into work and uh, 
someone came came over to me and said, listen, uh, one of your colleagues was over on the middle of the bridge there in, in, in a very distraught state. So I walked over and uh, Peter was now, he was, he was very distraught. And um, I brought him back over to the hotel. He was actually, he was working, but he, and um, we walked into his little office and he sat down in the office and I eventually I brought him home. I brought him up to his mother's. And uh, he was like, he was very, very distraught. Um, and he just, he just said he was, you know, he, I couldn't really make sense of what he was saying, but I put him into the car and he went, I drove him up to Belfield, up to the Duffery Gate there and, and um, went into his mother and father. I mean, because I used to work with his father years ago. And, um, and I, you know, he came back to work then a couple of days later and, he always seemed, he didn't just didn't see himself. But you, you can never actually, you know, you never actually say, well, you know, this is what's going to happen. Or, like, I mean, when I heard it then, that when I made the phone call, you know, I was, you know, I, I mean, I, and I, I, I thought back then that, you know, was there something more that I could have done? I'm going to say, what was there like? I mean, you know, I brought him home and, you know, you can... But there, there was still that bit of that, that shock, you know, when, when I heard it was Peter had went into the river. When Peter went into the river, his friends and family were devastated. When the same thing happened a few days later, just 100 metres away, there was a growing sense of alarm in the town and the search escalated. We were we were only looking for Peter for um, I think it was four days, and then the next victim went in. Our own bow houses were flooded, trying to find. We were we were trying to conduct a search in where we would normally be running in waters of maybe two meters, two and a half meters deep. That same water was now running at three and a half to four meters deep. Mm. And a torrent flood, you couldn't hold boats against it. It was running about nine or ten miles an hour most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Most of the time it was flooding along there at nine or ten miles an hour. So what we had to do was to, to appeal to everybody who had bigger boats, boats that would generally never be on the river because they'd be too big. They were able to come up from Wexford Harbour. And there was guys come up here that time, but boats have never been up here since because their boats wouldn't come. <laughs> it's just that there was so much water in it. It's the um, first time in my life that I have actually gotten hypothermia. That's right, you don't under... Because we didn't have the equipment then that we have now. I mean, thanks to the people of the town, it's since that search, thank God, that we've managed to get the ridges, that we've managed to get the dry suits and stuff like that. But, I mean, we had our own canoes at the time. The only boat we really had at the time was the Landcraft. And, and we had our own dry wetsuits. Not dry suits, just wetsuits. It was the wetsuits. Yeah. And I actually managed to get hypothermia down that river one day, and it was absolutely bitter. The search team were now looking for two bodies, but the weekend would bring even more tragedy. In the space of 24 hours, two more families were left asking questions on the riverbank. And that night, we actually had two victims went in in 24 hours. And that night, another one went in. And it just got to the stage, my God, when is this going to stop? So many questions. Why males? Why so many males? Why so young? 
uh, why at a point where we were being told that the country was doing so well uh, why at this particular week or two weeks um, and none of it could be answered but I wouldn't say it seemed enough but it seemed important to ask as many questions as possible when it began to happen it was sort of one and you know you hear about these things and you think oh my god that's awful but then they began to happen bang 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 one after the other and in some sense I think people became desensitised almost and when you see the helicopter hovering you think oh my god not another one and then you began to think that um, okay so yeah of course there are so many but it's still somebody's son, daughter you know that that you have to bring it back to a personal level but it seemed at one stage that there was some kind of I don't know pall over Wexford and Enniscorthy that you know, there were so many and were they all copycat and who was going to be next? You know, it was really a traumatic time, I think, for everybody. One of the men who went into the Slaney that weekend was Billy Dwyer. Billy was known as Hutchie in the town. John Byrne was one of the first to reach the river that evening. And then there was, I think it was Billy Dwyer, Hutchie, that went in and... and we got the call that night. We ran to the boathouse, obviously, and we put the boats out. And that time, Billy was—we could Billy vaguely see him at the, the end of the prom in the water. And just within minutes, he was gone. Hutchie's sons were young boys back in 2002, and naturally the family tried to shield them from what was happening. But Podge Dwyer, who was just 10 at the time, has very clear memories of that November. Um, I was 10, about to turn 11, and I can just remember for some reason I got up really early that morning and I went down to the sitting room and everybody was in the sitting room and, like, I knew something was up and then the news just broke and I I kind of didn't know what to think at the time. Like It was kind of a, like a punch in the chest or something and... And, like, it wasn't really the fact that what happened really got to me. It was the fact of waiting and finding out. Because no matter how realistically you think, if that happens with a family member, you, there is an ounce of hope that when they're found, they're going to be found alive. Like, And that was really the worst part of it, that the waiting to find out. Obviously, it took a lot longer to, for my father to be found and I thought it would but for the first few days at least like maybe he was washed up onto the shore and he's just stuck somewhere or something but as the time went on like you just kind of accept it. It was heartbreaking to see we would arrive here in the morning in the dark at 6.30 um, for to get the canteen ready get the boats ready get the gear ready and the family would be standing out in the car park waiting to go at that. Wouldn't be, it wouldn't be bright now until 8 o'clock and they'd be all standing in the car park. And it was heartbreaking to come up along the, the quay at night and so many family members standing there waiting. Any news, any news. And every night it was just the same. No news, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. Personally, I was running the search. I'm, I'm the chairman of Stanley Search and Rescue. I had to worry about my own crews. They were out on waters that 
and um, they shouldn't have been sent out in. They were totally ill-equipped. The warmest thing that we had was donkey jackets and um, council oil skins. And or your own wetsuit or whatever you had at home. Whatever you had at home oh, sort dear, of thing, yeah. rubber boots. And um, the women here in the place, they were doing their living best to try and keep family members warm, um, keep their spirits somewhat up. But it's very, very difficult to keep up their spirits when we're coming back in every evening. Nothing today. It seemed like every every day I know it wasn't every day but the way it was happening in such succession it was like every day you were waking up to a friend's father a cousin and because Enniscorthy basically everybody knows everybody in Enniscorthy you always know at least a relative of the person and it just seemed like every day it it was going on and it was really surreal. Like, I don't, I've never heard of anything like it happening anywhere else. Like, it was madness. But did, did you go down to the river? No, I didn't go down. Myself and my brother were 10 and 8 at the time. So, my older brother and sister went down I as well. Like, we kind of stayed away from, uh, I don't think it would have been really the place for 10 or 8 year old to be like. And tell me what you remember of him. Um, he what he didn't have a lot like he and he wasn't an, a saint or anything, but he always put us whatever he couldn't give us with money. He always put time into us. Um, and basically, the things I remember most are hurling, him bringing me and my little brother hurling, and like just little things like that. Just he. He basically taught us all, taught us everything about sport. So that's mostly what I remember. And staying up and watching boxing when I was about three or four until about four o'clock in the morning. So Mike Tyson. The final casualty went into the Slaney the night after Hutchie. What we know now is that five men died in the river during that eight days in November. As suddenly as it all started, it stopped. Locally, there's still confusion about how many more went in and were saved during that time. Perhaps as many as four. They were taken from the river alive and brought home to their families. But for the families of the men who were not so lucky, the search would continue. Bridie looked after the families in the boathouse. Well, I used to come down in the mornings and get get uh, Burke on and get everything sorted and Margaret would be here with me and doing her bit. And uh, about 10 or 10 o'clock, the families would really start to come, you know. But we used to let the families come in, to, come in here and sit down and have a cup of tea and have a chat. Now, I had a um, brother who committed suicide, so I knew what they were going through as well. So um, I, was, um, I was able to talk to them as well. I knew what they were going through, you know. And uh, then they'd be sitting there and they'd say, can I do something to help and all? And if we run out of sandwiches, I used to say, there, butter the sliced pan and make a few sandwiches, you know. And it kind of kept their spirits up, you know. And uh, But they were all lovely families, like, you know. But it was heartbreaking to look at them, you know. Of the five men who died in the river, two were found within a day. For the other families, it would be a longer wait. It was almost three weeks before the third body was recovered, Two days later, Hutchie was found. Hutchie was found 
at about quarter to 11 on Friday the 13th of December or I was up in Super Value um, collecting groceries for Bridie. When I got a phone call from Peter Barnes' sister and our past president, Michael Corrigan, and another lady, they were in the boat down when they found uh, Hutchie. They said they found a body, and for Peter Barnes' sister to say to me, it's not Peter, it's Hutchie. So I said, don't say nothing to no one, and I had to keep that in my head, tear down the prom, ring the guards, and I happened to meet two members coming down in a car. I said, get on your get your jet ski quickly. One of them was a priest. I said, go straight down to Michael Corrigan. I said, they have found a body. I didn't say who. The priest was Jason Donoghue, who at the time was based in Enniscorthy and was a member of Slaney Search and Rescue. Word came up, someone was down river and they had spotted something in the river that looked like a body. They weren't sure, they were looking at from shore. So they weren't quite sure, but it was it appeared like there was something in the river and could someone come down quickly. So I can't remember who was with me, but there was someone there had a jet ski and uh, and I jumped on the back of it and this guy was, was driving it. So we took took down the river. Um, it's well, it was a good bit down. It was, um, I see it's nearly down where Eldermine Chapel, down that far, like it's a good bit down, down, well down the river. Um, and when we got there, <coughs> um, myself and the other guy, is a, can't think of his name, but we, we went to where the, the person was and they said, they pointed us to where they thought they saw the body and we went over and sure enough, um, that's where Hutchie was. And um, the water wasn't very deep. When we got off the jet ski down at that particular point, I was able to walk out um, to where he was and brought him into shore. And then... There was a couple of people on the bank and so we lifted them into a carrying device and placed them on it and then carried them up to the up the sort of side of the bank to where the hearse was. The undertaker arrived and uh, we placed them into the into the into the hearse and um, we went back up the river. So it was it was good to be able to tell the family that we found them and yeah, it's sad too obviously when you finally realise that yeah he is he is dead. You know, it's a long time to be looking and wondering and waiting and um and there's a certain finality when you know at the end that God they are they are gone, like but there was a certain relief too, I think, in having found them and and being able to, you know, um proceed with the whole grieving process then. The day he was found was um I can remember we had just gone back to school. We were only after going back to school about three days. And we got taken home at lunchtime, which my mother never did. My mother made us stay in school, no matter what. And we went down to my granny's in John Street. I was in the Gale School on Pierce Road, so it was only walking distance. We went down there and everyone was there. And it was more relief after finding out at that stage. And it felt like a weight off our shoulders. So... And what were you told about what happened? I mean, were you told that um, he fell in? Or? I was, first, I was told that he was eating a bag of chips and he fell in. He was after having a few drinks, but I I had known what was after happening around the town at the time. And I, I knew well enough what had happened because of what was happening with other families and 
people had mentioned that so I I was there it's not a coincidence at 10 years old like I I wasn't that stupid like but I kind of played along because I didn't want to let on to my younger brother who was eight like I was pretending to believe that it was a pure accident just for my little brother's sake at that time where when I knew exactly what had happened The families that lost loved ones stayed with the search to support those whose relatives still hadn't been found. On December 22nd, 41 days after Peter Barron entered the River Slaney, his family was finally about to get some news. For most families, their loved one's anniversary was not the day they went into the river, but the day they were found. The final find that we'd had, the entire town was waiting for us. And unfortunately, when we found the victim, victim was Peter Barron, who was the last victim to be found. And unfortunately, when we found Peter, Peter was a terribly difficult recovery. We were deciding, and you know, what time, you know, will this come into Christmas Day? Because it was, it was coming up very close to Christmas, and, you know, would we go out in the morning or after, at the afternoon on Christmas Day? But we were fully committed to going out on Christmas Day. And, uh, you know, so we were talking about that, and, and I remember... The, boat we were just drifting down along the river and I seen a bit of a break in the water and I remember saying to Thomas you know there's just you know put out there there's just something in the water there and as we were going by looked over decided and I could just see the silhouette of a of a man in, in the and I remember saying to John Byrne I said that, that's our man you know I remember the first thing we done I always said we just pull in onto the bank and we'd gather our thoughts, you know. Um, there was other craft on the on the, the water that day. So we said, rather than alarm and have everybody accumulating down, that uh, we pulled into the side and we didn't come over the radio. We rang, we rang Harry off the phone. And I remember getting a phone call here that one of the boats felt that they had spotted something in the river. And there was a huge flood running at the time very, very discoloured brown water and flowing very fast. So I went down and um, I had a look and I wasn't even that terribly sure. So we got a couple of our divers and they dived and the water conditions were um, horrendous for to try and perfect the recovery. It was it was a strange, very strange, uh, eerie, eeriness. You know, yeah, the darkness had fallen and we were working under the lights. And I remember looking, because we, we were holding a rope, and I remember looking at three divers coming down, down the river. I can still see it as plain as day. I can see the three of them coming down in a triangular shape. And all you can see is the, the three lights under the water, you know? And uh, I, I, I always remember saying, you know, fair play to them because, you know, I knew exactly what they were, they were they were they were going into, you know. I mean, we're looking at it from the top, from from over the water. But these guys, you know, and I, I always commend them, you know. And word had got out in town that we had found them long before we we actually made the recovery. And I remember walking up that that prom that evening. Des was with me. Jerry was with me. And um, in the middle of the crowd, I looked over, and there was between three and four hundred people, and I could see only one person standing in the crowd. And that was Mrs. Barn. Until the day I die, I'll never forget the look on her face that night. I remember Mrs. Barn looking at me, you know, and it was, it was, 
she came over and she thanked me, like, and I, you know, thanks, like, I mean, you know, it's, what do you say, you know? But I know, like, I mean, if I had had a choice of handing her six numbers for the lotto, or handing her her son, that's what it, that's what it was like to, to her, you know? And the same for herself, because it gave closure to it, you know, it, it's... But, um, it's, and, and I mean, it'll, stay, it'll always be there in the back of my mind, like, probably till the day I die, you know? It's, it's, it's something, like, you know, there, there's things will happen in your life that will always, you'll always lock them away, and... You know, there's a lot of stuff that you'll forget, but there's all this stuff will uh, stay with you. Like. That day, the boathouse was locked up. The search was over. By Christmas time, all the men had been laid to rest. The events of that November were difficult to explain, and any talk about it in the town was done quietly amongst families. That's how Peter Murphy understood it too. The only people I remember actually talking openly to uh, were my family, specifically my brother. Um, and I asked them, I said, well, you know, what are people saying about it? What's, is there any attempt to get to the bottom of this? And he said, that's the strangest thing. He said, you wouldn't know it, it was happening. Uh, it's just not being spoken about openly. Understandably, with retrospect, and the more I thought about it in the interim and the years that have passed, it was undoubtedly too painful to address head-on at the time. And then there's also the fear that if you talk about it, that you give it airspace or you give it energy or you generate more of it or you turn it into a sort of virus. And then there's the counter-argument that if you don't speak about it, the causes of it are just going to fester and fester and it's going to happen again. But there was no one cause, nothing you could put your finger on other than this sense of darkness. What happened on the river had a lasting impact on the town. For the families themselves, it would always be a painful time. And for Podge DeWire, Hutchie's son, now 22, his dad's death had left its mark. Like, depression is, a, is part of our family, so... I suppose growing up, like, as the symptoms kind of got bigger within myself, I kind of started to understand more. And, and I, I didn't feel as bad about I didn't pity myself about it anymore like there was a lot of self-pity in the family like why did he do this to us like it's not really fair but as I started to go through it I kind of understood like yeah you can see why it happened like and and as I say I'm lucky he could have got lucky anybody can can get lucky and I'm just trying to put a positive spin on it now that I'm one of the lucky ones. Why do you think you're one of the lucky ones? Well, um, I attempted as well as I was about to leave college and I got lucky, so that's how I just want to show people that it's really, really, like, if you, there's no point in putting a full stop because everything gets better.
Suicide and depression have also inspired Podge. He's Emma Scorthy's first rapper and his biggest hit so far, Demons, tackles suicide head on. I've heard millions of songs like anti-suicide songs, charity songs. I never really heard a positive outcome on them. Like, it, and for someone that's been through all of that, that's, my life's been affected by it and I've been through that as well. So I just wanted to show people like that there is a positive side to it, that like things can get better, basically. And that's what, so I started off, if you listen to the song, it starts off with a real serious subject. And as the song progresses, it gets more positive. And by the end of it, we're talking about having a party, let's have a good time, like at the end of it. And that's basically what I wanted to do with the song. Got it. Loop of my throat, I got a knot in my chest. Depression causing stress, trying to be in my best. Trying to get up, get out and get something. No more dwelling on the sadness and suffering. See, Dad died at 35. I was just a juvenile telling me the shoot with lies. I knew it was suicide. Everyone remembers Black November. He went in on the 17th, buried in December. December 28th, to be exact. The day that I turned 11, dude, and that's a fact. A month later, I got the 36 chambers. I guess in a funny way it did me a favour. Cause if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be rapping. I wouldn't fight these demons with a vision and a passion. Wouldn't desecrate the food. Wouldn't elevate the youth. Wouldn't demonstrate the proof that it's best to tell the truth. I say goodbye to the demons. I dealt with bereavements. Now I'm getting the treatments. I say goodbye to the demons. There is no official explanation for the events of 2002. In the end, there was no evidence to back up the theory that it was a suicide cluster. In other words, that there was any connection between the deaths. The community response across County Wexford to suicide has been extraordinary. So many volunteers have joined efforts to tackle the problem and make sure that what happened in November 2002 can never happen again. They won't stop suicide. But what Frank Flanagan and his volunteers at Wexford Marine Watch are doing is already saving lives. Yeah, this is the worst night we've been out so far, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not a nice one, is it? No. What does the weather, what impact does the weather have on people coming out or trying something or not trying something? Uh, the weather really... Uh, so, so somebody, the type of person that we're trying to intervene with or... or, or, or um, prevent from harming themselves the weather is irrelevant if somebody feels that they need to do it they're going to do it regardless whether it's raining or the sun is shining whether it's dark or it's daylight uh, we can't be here 24-7 so we just have to uh, do the best we can with the volunteers that we can you know on my watch there has been one serious incident where a gentleman was very distressed my colleague and I were over at uh, ferry bank and we're just finishing up our shift at 12 o'clock and driving along the bridge at the highest point we observed this man who was leaning over the rails and he had his foot on there's a bar going across the bottom of the railings and he had his foot on that and there was something about him he was hunched over and I stopped the jeep and my colleague and I got out and he was extremely distressed and indicated to us that he was definitely going to jump. And we began to talk to the man, and he began to open up to us. And he was hysteric, he was crying hysterically, really, really distressed. 
and we talked to him and he calmed and he lay down on the footpath and I just whoa and then he made a run for the railings again but the three male colleagues actually held on to him and brought him back down and sat him down and he began to talk to us again and um, he has been seen around town and I have personally seen him planning for the future and it was lovely to see and he seemed quite relaxed and quite at ease. I say goodbye to the demons I dealt with bereavements Now I'm getting achievements I say goodbye to the demons I dealt with bereavements Now I'm getting achievements I say goodbye to the demons I dealt with bereavements Now I'm getting achievements Yeah!